Amen. I hope you're hearing the words of that song, right? That God saw value in you, right? That God saw value in you, right? And the Bible says, while we were yet his enemies, while we were still in our sin, before we had gotten our lives right, before we had done any one thing right, that God saw value in in you. And he saw that you were worth dying for. Don't listen to the lies that are told in the world that says you're not worth it, right? Don't listen to the lies in the world that says you have to own up or earn your identity. In Christ, you have full identity, and he calls you his son. He loves you. He's chosen you. And it's not because of you. It's simply out of his goodness and grace. And he says you're worth it. So accept that message is true for yourself. Well, amen. Well, you may be seated. Good morning. Welcome to Tri-Cities Church. I love that song because it reminds me that, um, you know, there are so many times in our world where, um, whether it's, um, whether it's degrees or whether it's, um, or whether it's, uh, some kind of status that we get or possessions that we own or things that we can afford, um, it's almost like we're working our way up the ladder. And God says to us, let me come down the ladder and be for you what you really need. Amen. Well, let's share in a moment of prayer and then uh, we'll get into our message for this morning. God, we give you thanks this morning that you have given us this opportunity to gather here in this place. God, we thank you for your grace that looks at us and sees us not for what we are or what we think we can accomplish, but sees us according to your power, your love, your grace, your might available to us in Christ Jesus. And so, God, I thank you that you chose to die for us, that we might be set free, that we could live more fully into the people that you created us to be. It's in your son, Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, this morning we are, uh, we are taking up our Better Together offering that we've been building up to. If this is your first time here with us at Tri-Cities Church, welcome. My name is Wesley. I'm one of the pastors here. We are, uh, we have been here in this building for what, um, uh, over two years now. And now the opportunity is for us to purchase this facility, uh, so that we can remain here as a church. And we're, uh, excited about that. And we've, we started off this campaign that we were simply calling, uh, Better Together, right? Because we believed, um, we believed that the church believed in the church, and we believed that generosity wasn't hindered by geography, and we knew uh, very confidently we were trusting in God, and we believed that the church would unite to see um, a, a community of believers, a body of believers flourishing here in this building um, that has been used uh, since 1964 uh, when it was built uh, uh, to train people, to educate people about the God who's who thought they were worth saving, right? Um, and, and sending them out uh, to be his missionaries in this world. Uh, and so we started this Better Together uh, campaign, um, believing that people would, would, would come together, not just within Tri-Cities Church, but outside of Tri-Cities Church, and even from around uh, the country, as we've seen, people have believed in what God is doing 
uh, here. Uh, to date, we are at 40 some odd thousand dollars that we've uh, raised to go to the building. Um, but all this has me thinking this week, uh, as we purchase or, or prepare to purchase the building, as we go through the permitting process with the city and get our certificate of occupancy and do, do all of those steps that you have to do in order to um, buy a building and use the facility as a church when it changes ownership, there's some things you have to go through. All this has me thinking about, uh, I guess, the early days of Tri-Cities Church, when Tri-Cities Church was just a vision, when it was just a, a dream, and it began in Jamie's living room uh, with a group of people who were gathered there. And some of you were there in those early days, gathering in Jamie's living room and praying about this thing that God would have uh, come, come alive in the Tri-Cities area. And then I think back to um, when Jamie and I and Paul, we would get together at Joffrey's um, before there was a drip. We would get together some mornings at Joffrey's and drink plenty of coffee and spend lots of hours talking and praying about what God wanted to do um, um, uh, here in the Tri-Cities area and why we were starting a church and what this church would look like. You know, and it's odd that as we think about the church, and uh, particularly today as we prepare to take up this offering, and as we're preparing to purchase this building, um, it's interesting that a church was never in the plans, right? When I think back to all of our conversations, buying a building, a church building, let me, let me correct that. Buying a church building uh, was never in, in the plans. A church was in the plans. Um, but, but buying a, a church building, we, we never once, I don't believe, spoke about, um, about, about buying a church building. It wasn't a, a part of the plans. It wasn't a part of the dream, if you will. Um, because if that's our dream, right, to buy a church building, to, to, to grow a church quickly in order that we could buy a building, if that's our dream, I'm, I must say that's a pretty lousy dream, right? Um, that, that's a pretty lousy dream for a God who heals the sick, right? For a God who walks on water, for a God who takes people from emotionally wounded places and gives them identity in him. Right? That's a pretty lousy dream for that kind of God. Um, so, so never once it was there in our thinking and our dreaming and our planning, the question of at what point are we going to be able to buy a building, right? We were simply seeking the Lord and praying about what kind of church does God want to see and how can Tri-Cities Church best position itself to bring restora- restoration and resurrection in our community? How can we raise up a people who are, who are um, turning their faces to the Lord God Almighty, right? And allowing him to shape their lives so that when they leave out of wherever we're gathering, right? Because it went from Jamie's living room to El Nazareno to Hateville Elementary and now uh, here for two years, right? Wherever we are gathering, we believe that God believed in, God desired, his intention for the church would be that there would be a gathering community, right? A community that would gather but not just understand themselves as a group of people that liked each other and hung out with each other on Sundays, but a people who were sent out into his community to do his work here, right? So when we buy this church, right, this, this is not going to be, um, nor will it ever be Tri-Cities Church, right? This, this will never be, right, this building will never be Tri-Cities Church. In fact, nothing about this building says Tri-Cities Church, but the signs is that we hang. We could take down our stuff and we could go out and nobody would know this was Tri-Cities Church. It will never be Tri-Cities Church, but we are Tri-Cities Church. That's who God has called us to be. That's who we are. We are the church. 
Um, and that's a powerful thought for us to sit with and for us to have. What are we, oh, okay. See people looking at something behind me. I, don't, I never know what's going on back there. <laughs> um, yeah, we, we are the church, and that's a powerful thing to, to, for us to sit with, right? Because God has chosen to, in and through us, make himself known. That is, God is making himself known in you, through you, wherever you go. God is making himself known. He has chosen you to be his church. It's a powerful thing for us to sit with and to think about. um, But it's also a privilege and an honor that God has entrusted us in this way. And so this morning, what I really want to do with you is I want to go back to one of, um, it's actually one of my favorite texts, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 10 is where we're going to be this morning. And really look at, uh, I I feel like Paul here is answering the question. Paul, the author of Ephesians, is answering the question, uh, how did you come to be the church, right? How did God form the church? What did God do in order to form the church? So we're going we're gonna to dive into Ephesians 2, but let's pray um, before we read that scripture. God, we give you thanks this morning that you've given us this opportunity to open your word and to study it. God, I pray this morning that it will come alive and that you will speak to us through this, um, this ancient text that speaks so clearly for us today. God, I pray that you will help us to understand who we are as the church and that we'll understand that by how we came to be the church. And God, we thank you that you chose us before the foundations of this world. That you chose us to be your church, your representatives here for such a time as this. It's in your son, Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. All right, well, let's look at Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to read beginning in verse 1, and I'm going to read verse 1 through verse 9. Listen to what it says. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming age he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed to his expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Right here, Paul is unpacking this very powerful message of the gospel, that God saved us by grace through faith, that it has nothing to do with anything that we've done or said or become or anything that we've earned. It has nothing to do with degrees or social status or things that we can afford or the clothes that we wear or the neighborhood that we live in. That God simply, apart from anything that we've ever done, right? And this is, you know, at least the beginning of the unpacking of what the gospel is, that God didn't look for deserving people and say, I'm going to use them to build my church. 
church, right? He didn't look for people that had certain qualities or qualifications, kind of in the way that we would do, and say, I'm going to use them to build my church, right? He didn't do like, when, you remember we used to do um, um, like basketball, pick up games of basketball, and you, you would always want to get whoever wanted to get the tallest person, right? You didn't care if that person was good or not. You just wanted the tallest person. I, I want him, I want him, I want her, I want her. You know what I mean? You picking your team. God didn't go about forming the church in that way, right? He wasn't picking his team. When the Bible says that he chose us from the foundations of the earth, he chose to build his church out of ordinary, everyday people um, that he looked at us and he said, that guy has no business being a part of something like this, but I'm choosing him, right? That guy, that girl is totally unqualified, not worthy, has messed up far too many times, but I'm choosing him for her her and him for this. He, he looked at us and, and he said, yeah, I, I, I know of all, all about his or her mistakes, right? Um, and, and shortcomings and failures, but I've chosen. I'm choosing. I want you. And as long as you say yes, I will do incredible things in you and through you. You see, the gospel begins with this. It begins with a God who showed his grace to us and he, um, and, and in and through Jesus Christ, this unmerited favor, and through that he built the church. So at the most basic and fundamental level, the church is is the community of believers. It's the community of people who've chosen to turn their faces towards God and accept the free gift of grace that when God says, I want you to be my church, right? Um, it's, the church is simply those who've chosen that. But when we see Ephesians uh, uh, chapter 2, um, there, there's something unique that's happening here in chapter 2, and, and, and that's that, um, that, that Paul is unpacking much more than, than this, right? So he lays this foundation, and that's that the church is made up of those who've chosen to, to place their faith in Jesus Christ, all believers in what he's done. Uh, in the first century, that was... Um, um, that, that was often people who saw Jesus walk and live and die and come back from the dead. Um, for us, it's us who believe that that actually happened, that Jesus rose from the dead, that we might be uh, free from our, from our sins. But, but look at what he says. I'm going to jump right back into verse 4. It says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our in transgressions. It's by grace you have been saved. You see, I think there's some things that we have to include in our thinking when we think about the church. And the first thing that we have to include in our thinking, whenever we're thinking about what is the church, what are we here for, what is God doing here, why are we buying a building, right? Why are we as a church, like, like what, what, why are we doing what we do? And the first thing we have to, to, to see from Ephesians chapter 2 is that God has chosen to turn himself to us, to show favor towards us and reveal his love for us, that God has chosen to be all about us, right? God relentlessly pursues us. God does not give up. God wants, he wants you. He wants your life, right? And so God is all about that. God is all about pursuing you, being about you. And in fact, if you look at this verse, it almost seems like the life of God revolves around human beings, that God's own life revolved around human beings. And we see in the scriptures that God had uh, everything to give, right, and nothing to gain, right? He had everything to give 
and nothing to gain because God didn't look back and say, I need him or I, I need her or, or I can't do this without him or I can't do this without her. God wasn't fulfilling some desire within himself by forming the church, right? By saving us into the church. God wasn't fulfilling some need that he had. God was totally without need, totally without lack, totally without void. But yet at the same time, out of the overflow of his love and grace, right, he's chosen to save us, right? To accept us, to receive us as his own. There's this powerful message that's happening there. And it's the message of adoption, right? That God brings us into his family, right? That he chooses to love us in spite of everything wrong that we could have done and to bring us into his family and to give us the world. And sometimes I feel like we, that message becomes so common and we get so used to that, that that we forget the power that's in that message itself, right? That God had every um, right to, he would not have been in any way wrong in totally rejecting us, right? And having nothing to do with us because we turned our face toward from him, right? Because he gave us in the sense, if you go back to the, the beginning in Genesis, he gave us the world, right? He gave us paradise, everything that we would need, right? And Adam and Eve, what did they do? They turned their face from God and they began to walk away from him. And here God is pursuing him, pursuing them. You know, this reminds me of um, when my wife and I first started uh, Actually, we weren't even dating at that point. Um, we, we were both students, and uh, we, were, we took a class together. It was a biology class, and we were in a, um, we had biology labs, and so we were in lab together. And um, we spoke one time, and at that point, she maybe had been here in the States for a year and had this uh, kind of strong accent, Caribbean accent, and it intrigued me. Uh, and, um, and, I, and I became... Um, for lack of a better term in the moment, I became a, uh, um, slightly, let me, let me try to save myself a little bit here. I became slightly stalkerish. Um, <clears throat> not stalkerish in a bad way, I hope. Because uh, I got the girl. Uh, so um, as soon as class would get out, and here she is, and she had to go to her next class, and I was totally free, but as soon as class went out, she was walking down the hallway to her next class, and here I was like a little puppy dog following behind her, and I was talking to her, and hey, and she would not turn and, and talk to me. And day after day, week after week, this is kind of the game we played, right? I don't know whether it was hard to get. We never even had any conversations about whether it was hard to get, whether she just wasn't interested. That wasn't even in my book. I was like, she got to be interested. I mean, <laughs> come on. It's <laughs> like, she's got to be. I mean, um, I see the grade she's making. <laughs> she's a smart girl. Uh, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not quite that vain. Um, but, but day after day, week after week, there I am pursuing her, right? I'm walking behind her. I'm talking to her. Um, I'm not able to get her to slow down, stop, and turn to me. But week after week, I continue to, to, to do this, right? And this is kind of the, the, my way of operating um, because I'm determined to, to go out with her. And so finally, um, I, I kind of corner her. She, she had a yearbook with her next class where they were. Uh, you remember yearbooks? Some, some colleges do yearbooks. Our college did you do yearbooks because it was 
fairly small. Um, and so that was, she was part of the design team for the yearbook, so she had to be there. And so one day there's no teacher there in the room or anything. So I come in and I sit there and I sit there through the whole hour and I'm like, this, she's going to talk to me, right? And it's just, this is going to happen today. Uh, uh, if I have to, if I have to just stay here forever and follow her to the next class and be real stalkers. Um, I had chosen to pursue her. And God has chosen to pursue us. You see, in our thinking about God has to include this very, um, very, very strong fact, and that's that God has chosen to turn his face to us and to reveal his love to us. But we got to be careful not to treat God like some desperate lover, like some stalker that's pursuing us. Um, Because the Bible says this, um, that, that God's grace is so powerful and his love is so strong that it never gives out, right? That it never runs out. That no matter how much we ignore him, God still says you're worth it, worth it, right? No matter how much we walk away and continue going about our day, God still thinks you're worth pursuing, right? No matter if we turn to God or not, right? God still is relentlessly pursuing us. That's the scripture. That's the gospel. That's the power of God's grace and love. So even when we want to have nothing to do with God, God is this guy that you know is always going to be there, right? You know you can count on him. Uh, you know you can trust him. You know that, um, that, that he'll be there when you need him. Uh, and often we treat him e- either like a desperate lover or like a sugar daddy, right? He's there when we need him, right? And we can call on him when, when we need him. But, but that's not... Um, That's not the way God intended things to be. And so our thinking about God, we have to see ourselves first and foremost as recipients of God's love and grace. The fact that God chose to live for us, to die for us, to raise from the grave from us, to give us new life in Christ Jesus. We are now recipients of his love. But our understanding of the gospel and what it means to be the church must not stop there. Because because here's what happens, and, and it happens way too often, I think without us even realizing it, um, is that we do we end up stringing God along. Um, we, we, we are part of the church sometimes, but not others. We do right in seasons, but not others. And we know that God will be there when we return um, because he's this desperate lover. He's this stalker that's always with us. And so we can, uh, we can, we can, cheat, we can cheat, cheat on God in a sense. We can walk away from him and walk back, and we know that he's there. And we've formed this idea of God as... Um, as a divine being whose life revolves around me. And so I, I can easily take God and my um, responsibilities as a follower of Christ lightly because after all, he revolves around me. I'm not going to run him off. He's going to be there when I need him, when I call and we develop this kind of lackadaisical attitude about the church. And it's, well, the church is going to be there, right? It's God's people. They're, they're supposed to be in, you know, God's image. God's living through them. They're God's representatives here on earth. So I can walk away from the church. I can come back to the church. I can be kind of half-heartedly a part of the church. I can be on the edges. And, and that's all right after, after all, right? 
I don't have to take being a part of the church that seriously, right? Because God's got the serious part taken care of, right? He's always going to be for me. Now, when we were forming Tri-Cities Church, that was one of the things that we knew for certain, right? That we wanted to be a community of grace, right? That we wanted to be a community that, that, that loved like God loved, that said, it doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done, what kind of mistakes you've, you've made, what kind of things you've been through, what kind of wounds you have, no matter what kind of hurts you have, right? This is a place where you can come and belong. We were certain of that, and so one of our core values is grace. A place where people can come and be accepted in love no matter what. We chose to be desperate lovers. We chose to be stalkers. And I tell you time and time again, there's people that turn their backs on the church and they decide that this isn't the thing for them or, that, or, or they're just going through something in life. And here we are, just like stalkers. We pursue them and we love them and we accept them back. And, and we're, our, our view of them hasn't changed. We still think they're worth dying for because Jesus has already died for them and so here the church is chasing after people here god is relentlessly pursuing chasing after people who may or may not ever turn and chase after him and pursue him but what we see in this passage which i think is so powerful and the reason i love this passage is because it doesn't end in verse Nine, right? Paul continues. Let me go back and read verse four, but I'm going to include verse 10 this time. Listen to what he says. He says, but because of his great love for us, right? This is why we were, Paul uses this strong word, dead in our transgressions and sins, right? While we wanted to have nothing to do with the will and way of God, um, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our in transgressions. It's by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus for it's by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves it's the gift of God not by work so that no one can boast for we are and this is important uh, that we can't leave out but we do leave out so often in our thinking verse 10 for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You see, our thinking about the church and what it means to be saved into the church must include an acceptance of our missionary vocation, right? That's simply a way of saying that God has work for us to do right that when god saves us he saves us into the church but he saves us to do the good work that he created in advance for us to do that's a powerful thought to think of that god doesn't just want us sitting in pews right god doesn't just want us gathering with friends and singing songs and clapping hands and worshiping him in song right god doesn't just want us being a part of a community but there is work for us to do. And, and this is the, 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 the thought that hit me this week and kept hitting me like a ton of bricks. Um, because he, here's the thing. Like, I, I live right around the corner in East Point. Um, we're in East Point. I live like a mile up the street. Um, 
And, um, and many of you live right here in the Tri-Cities. And if I said, what change do you want to see in your neighborhood? Like for the good, like what good change do you want to see in your neighborhood? Um, no matter where you live, I imagine you can think of some kind of good change that you would like to see in your neighborhood. And you may be able to rattle off a list. In fact, I could write, rattle off a list of things that I would like to see change in my neighborhood. I love my neighbor. I love my street. I love my neighbors. I have a great, uh, great neighborhood that I'm glad that God planted me there. But there's still a list of things I would like to see, a list of good things that I would like to see happen in my neighborhood. But here's the deal. Right, God's good, it just has to be so much grander than my good. So uh, when I look at my neighborhood and I say, this is a good I want to see, right? Maybe safer or maybe cleaner, right? Um, God's good has to be so much grander than, than my good. Because here's, here's my good. My good, I wouldn't be living here if it wasn't. My good is humanly possible, right? It's attainable, right? The things that I desire in my community are attainable by my own um, means, by community organization, by uh, strategic goals. Those things are things that like councilmen and, and the mayor and, and they're, they're, they're pursuing those kind of things. So the good that I would like to see in my neighborhood is attainable. But, but God's good is so much grander and it's only attainable by the power of God at work within us. And so this, this word right here in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 where it says, um, um, uh, for we are Christ's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, right? That's a heavy word um, because that's not my good, right? That's not the good that I can attain or the good that I can accomplish, right? God's imagination God's version of good has to be so much grander. Now, I'm, I'm one of these um, just kind of common sense, uh, I guess you would say common sense. People might not say common sense kind of people, but uh, I'm, I'm just kind of common sense guy. I live, in, I, I live in the moment. I think that's just me by human nature. I live in the moment. I don't, I don't think too much about um, the future. Some people do. My wife and I are a little bit different in, in that. And, and I, I've developed the same where I say I, I don't live in, in hypotheticals, right? I don't, I don't live in hypothetical situations. You know that what if, like what if this happens? Like I, I'm just not a worrier about what ifs, right? So the kind of what if, what if, um, what if it rains and everything's, you know, it's Monday and we got something big on Friday. What if it rains? And, and I just don't, I just don't want to spend my time, just my personality, right? I just don't want to spend my time worrying about the what ifs, right? What if my car breaks down or what if I fall or what if this, I, I just don't do that. Um, but, I, but I feel like in our spiritual lives, and I was thinking about this all week, right? In our spiritual lives, um, the, the, what the scriptures are constantly trying to do in a sense, is break open our imagination, right? This, in a, this sanctified imagination that does live in the what ifs, right? This, this asking of the question, what if God wants to, and you fill in the blank, in my neighborhood, what if God wants to clean up my street, right? Um, uh, and, uh, and he wants to do that through me, right? Or, or in your home, what if God wants to restore my marriage, right? Um, and, and, you know, you've long given up on that and walked away from it, maybe just living as roommates. What if God wants to restore my marriage, right? Living in this world of what ifs, right? What if God wants me to be a witness at my job, right? And wants somebody to come to know Jesus through me and the life that I live, right? This, this world of what ifs, I believe, is what the scriptures are trying to open open our minds to, um, because it says there's no way for us to know the mind of God, right? 
And our version of good can't be God's version of good. And so, yeah, we read the scripture that says we're God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And we begin asking that very simple question that can often lead us into difficult places. What if God wants me to? What if God wants me to? Things that we never thought about, never would have embraced, never would have chosen for ourselves. What if God wants me to? And we begin praying for those. We begin listing them out. We begin opening ourselves to the what ifs. Now, for me, that's a difficult thing because I don't live in this world of hypotheticals. These what if this may happen? What if God wants to use me in this way? I, I, I just really don't feel like I have time for that. Um, but God wants us opening our sanctified imagination, doing some holy dreaming about the things that he wants to do in and through us. And so, yeah, I believe that there's times that you come home from work and there should be an idea of something that God wants you to do for somebody to bless their lives um, that you just can't let it go, right? And you do some holy dreaming about what if, it, what would it look like for me to do this? What, what could the result be? What could God be wanting to do in and through my life? There's this holy dreaming, sanctified imagination that God is definitely calling us, the church, to that we've lost sight of. You see, God was um, choosing us. He turned himself toward us in Jesus Christ. He revealed his favor for us, but it doesn't stop there. We're not just recipients of God's love. God wants the world to know the love of Jesus Christ through us, and that means there are some mighty, weighty, good deeds that God wants to do in and through our lives, right? And so then when we get to these, these other passages in the scriptures, when we get the, the heaviness of what God wants to do in this good work, um, some of the other things that the Bible calls us to do that we're, we're, it's easy for us to write off um, or to discount as unimportant or put them on a checklist as if I get it done, I get it done. Um, those things get a lot more weight. You see, in order for us to live fully into the church, and this is one of the things that Paul is going to unpack later in this book of Ephesians, in order for us to live fully into the church, right, we must be a community that gathers, right? We must be a gathering community. The gathering of the church gains much more significance. Look at what he says. Um, um, well, no, no, no. Yeah, well, let's look at what he says. We'll look at this verse for, for two points, actually. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. It says, so Christ himself gave the apostles and prophets and evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. This passage is teaching us that we got to be a community of people in order for us to be the church, to live fully into the good work that God is calling us to do. We have to be a community that gathers. We have to be a gathering community. 
It's an essential component of the church. From the beginning of the church up until now, the church has always been a community that gathers, usually on Sunday. Now we're seeing with the change in our society, there's churches that are gathering on Saturdays and Fridays and um, different times because now people are working on Sundays. Uh, And I don't think there was anything uh, holy about the day, right, the Sunday. Um, The scriptures never teach us that, that there's holy something holy about the day and that only on that day can we gather there's something though that's holy about the gathering and that's what jesus even is getting at when he says wherever two or three are gathered in my midst there i am in the midst of them there's something holy about the gathering and that's that there's work that god has for us to do right and as we gather um the community is formed um not knowing exactly what that work is and asking these what ifs and then realizing that those what-ifs aren't answerable alone, right, in isolation from a community. In fact, if you find that it's possible to follow Jesus Christ apart from a community of faith that gathers on a regular basis, weekly basis, if you find that it's possible to follow Christ apart from that community, I think you got to ask the question, am I really following Christ? Because God's good is so big, right? God's version of good is so grand that it's just not possible alone, right? You just can't do it. It's just not possible. No matter how much you want to put weight into that, no matter how much we've been deceived by um, maybe television or televangelists and believe that I can do church while rolling over in the bed and flipping a remote, right? No matter how much that idea deceives me, right, that there's so much information out there, whether it's internet or television or whatever, no matter how deeply deceived I am by that, it's just not possible apart from a community of faith that's, as we talked about last week, that's praying for you, right? It's just not possible apart from a community that knows your name because God's version of good is just so much much greater. It's not possible apart from a community of faith that's going to encourage you, right? It's just not possible because God's version of good is so much bigger, right? We just can't muster up the guts, the courage to do it on our own. We need people alongside us who are going to encourage us and be with us along the way. God's version of good is so much greater that your strategy alone, no matter how much of a a strategist you are, no matter how good you are with spreadsheets and, and, and plans planning things out and setting goals, right? God's version of good is so much greater that there's no way that you can tackle it alone. He's calling us to be a part of a gathering community which equips us for his work. And so God is forming this church and he's forming it for his good. And we got to gather in order to do that. Second thing I want you to see, not only do we have to gather, but we have to be a growing community. We have to grow spiritually. This is what this verse is talking about. So Christ himself gave um, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service, right? To equip us, right? There are some tools that are given to us. Um, um, yeah, there's tools that are given to us, and some of these may even be... Uh, in relationship with someone in the church. And you may not even identify it at that moment as a tool, right? You may just see somebody going through a difficult time in their life and you may be just going through it with them and praying with them. 
But all the while, through their situation, you're learning from that. And what you've learned through the life of someone else is a tool that God is giving you. You see, there are tools that we're picking up all along the way as we as a church gather. We are being equipped for the work that God is calling us to. And God doesn't, in the scriptures, doesn't lay out and say, hey, this is, this is what I'm going to have you. You're going to accept Jesus Christ. Day one, this is what the work that you're going to do. Day two, this is the work you're going to do. Day three, this is the work you're going to do. God doesn't lay it out like that for us. He simply says, I have good work for you to do. I have good work for you to do. And so we're being equipped today for things that we have yet to see. And so here's the amazing thing that God calls us as a church to be the church, to gather, to be equipped, to grow so that we can be sent out of these doors so that our life doesn't revolve around this building so that this place is simply a place where we are given the tools that we can go and serve. And it's nothing more than that. It's a place where the church gathers, where we are sent and where our community is changed. I, I got a phone call actually um, this week and it, it, it actually made me celebrate. Part of our um, special use, just to bring you into the special use uh, permit process that we have to go through with the city. And if you live within 500 feet radius, you know something about this. Um, we had to send out a mailer to everyone that lives within 500 feet foot radius of the church, letting them know that we're applying for a special use permit because we're buying this building in order that we could use it as a church, right? Um, So we had to send that out, and all those letters had my personal cell phone number on them um, because I am the applicant for our special use permit. And so my cell phone number was on these, and so I've been getting several calls from people in the neighborhood, and so I get this call from this lady this week. Um, and she says, hey, I got this, this letter in the mail that said that you're applying for a special use permit. Hey, what, what exactly is the church being used for? And I said, well, it's, it's being used as a, as a church, right? I said, um, we're Tri-Cities Church. Um, you know, I gave her a little bit of the history. began in Hateville. We've been meeting at this building for over two years. We just want to continue uh, here as a church. And her answer was, well, praise God. Well, praise God. You see, when people see this building, what we want them to see is not just a building where people gather and sing songs and where nice community happens and people are encouraged. We want people to see this and say, well, praise God, because I know that from there people are being sent out into my community. Right, Praise God, because I know that because of the people that are gathering there, that there are hungry people being fed in my community. Well, praise God, because I know that there are people, neighbors of mine, who are wounded. I know there's hurting in my own family, and I know that there is a place of, of healing where people can be made strong in the Lord, right, and healed in, by the might and power of Him. Well, praise God. Not that there's a church, but there's a church that gathers there. And that because that church is gathering, my community is made new. My community is made new. Hey, so this morning we are taking up an offering um, for the building. And so if you've been with us for a while, you know about that. If you uh, 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 is this your first time with us or you haven't been with us for a while, don't feel compelled to give. But um, our, our thing is we, we, um, 
we've been preparing to give for this. And so we have several people who are going to take up an offering. If y'all would just come up, I think you know who you are. Um, and uh, one of the things we did, and we did it this last year too, so it's not as, as funny this year. Um, but one of the things when we were at church, people always said, well, y'all going to pass plates on Sunday morning. Um, and I always said, uh, um, I always said, I, I doubt it. Like, I, I don't see us ever passing plates. And then we moved into this building and back in the closet somewhere, there were these golden plates. Um, and I said, well, hi, we got to use those sometime. Um, so here we are, we're taking up an offering for the building and we're going to pass these plates, um, after I pray, um, and whatever you've prepared in your heart, whatever God has led you to give, um, don't give that. Give more than that. <laughs> um, but, but give... <laughs> I'll give you a minute to scratch that check out that you wrote this morning. I'll give you a little bit of time. <laughs> no, just joking. Um, whatever, you, whatever God has placed on your heart to give, um, give it and say, praise God. Because because of that, this neighborhood, this community, our world is made better. Because there's a church that gathers here. Let's pray.